0: That's BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires, the podcast about disease, science, and blood sucking insects. This is episode four, how mosquitoes choose their mates. I'm Raven Forest Ruscio, your host. First off, if you haven't yet listened to episode three, I suggest you go back and listen to it before listening to this episode. Things will make a lot more sense that way. It's true that Valentine's Day has come and gone, but love is still in the air for mosquitoes. You'll especially know this is true if you live in the American South or any of the places that have recently been flooding. So, it's very timely to answer the second half of Matt Rittenhouse's question. He asked, what did the biotech company Oxitec modify in these mosquitoes? If they are modifying a gene that is lethal to mosquito offspring, and a gene that makes them fluorescent, could the wild female mosquito adapt to identify the GM mosquitoes and avoid mating with them. How do mosquitoes even choose their mates? The first part about the genetic engineering of mosquitoes was the topic of episode three. Now we'll focus on the second half of the question what we know about the love lives of two of the most medically important mosquitoes, Anopheles gambiae and our old friend, Aedes aegypti. I know these Latin names can be tricky to try to remember. Knowing the translations of these names into English helps me to remember them a lot. The word Anopheles is actually Greek in origin, and means useless, hurtful, and harmful. Gambia is the species name, which is just the Latinization of Gambia, the country where the species was first identified by Europeans. Similarly, Aedes aegypti's name is is Greek in origin, and means distasteful and unpleasant. And the species name is also, after a country in Africa, this time Egypt. You can tell from these names, the Greeks really didn't hold back on how they felt about these mosquitoes. The reason why you'll hear a lot about these two species in the news and on this podcast is because they both have the nasty habit of preferring human blood over any other animal. Not surprisingly, this results in them being major transmitters of some of the worst diseases, with Anopheles gambiae causing most cases of malaria, which kills millions of people a year, many of whom are under the age of five. As we already discussed in previous episodes, Aedes aegypti are the most important vectors of yellow fever, dengue, chikungunya, and of course, Zika. In order to tackle these little menaces, we need to know everything about them, and especially how they make more mosquitoes, often hundreds at a time. But if you really think about it, it's pretty incredible that such tiny, delicate little creatures are capable of finding each other in their vast habitat full of dangers. From the mosquito perspective, the world has many obstacles. A gust of wind can blow them completely off course, and and something as minor as a row of hedges can take hours to navigate. Randomly bumping into an eager mate is highly unlikely. Even for humans, who are social animals that like to congregate, it's hard to find someone, as evidenced by the number of dating sites and singles bars. Actually, singles bars are a really good analogy for how mosquitoes solve this mating problem. Just as with people... All the mosquitoes looking for love congregate in a suitable place all at one time. This is a mosquito swarm. If a large group of males are all in one place, a high-contrast spot on the ground, at one time, which is usually dusk, the females can easily find them. The mating pair can then fly off together. Even if the male doesn't like a female or she doesn't like him, All he has to do is stay with the swarm and another female will come by. So what happens once the female gets to the swarm is the topic of the two papers we're going to talk about today. All of the experiments were conducted by Kator et al. group from Cornell University. They decided to first investigate Aedes aegypti to see if they are using sound to communicate within the swarm, which is written up in their paper, harmonic convergence in the love song of the dengue vector mosquito. Next, they investigated Anopheles gambiae and sought to see if the sound the mosquitoes are making is being used to determine mate quality. This paper was called Sizing Up a Mate, Variation in the Production and Response to Acoustic Signals in Anopheles Gambiae. Anyone who has ever been around a mosquito knows the dreaded high-pitched whining sound they make when they're flying. The KATOR group suspected that this buzzing noise was not just a byproduct of the mosquito's flight, but could actually be a means of communication between mosquitoes. The first thing the researchers needed to do was get a very good audio recording of the sounds mosquitoes make when they fly. To do this, They used a tiny dab of superglue to stick the head of a pin to the mosquito's back so the mosquito was wearing it like a backpack. Then the pin was held near a particle velocity microphone so that the mosquito's legs were dangling in midair. This makes the mosquito think it's flying, and so it beats its wings, but it's securely held in place by the pin, so it's a bit like a person running on a treadmill. After doing this with males and females, the researchers found that 80s females usually buzzed at a frequency of 400 hertz, which sounds like this. It may sound familiar to you. Males buzzed around 600 hertz. But when they brought the pair of mate-seeking mosquitoes near each other, something really interesting happened. The females tripled their wingbeat speed, and the males doubled theirs. Doing this, they both ended up at 1,200 hertz, producing a duet. This harmonization was the way they signaled to each other that they were ready to mate. Some of the mosquitoes would even respond to a computer producing the mating signal tone by ramping up to the 1,200 hertz themselves. They did this even when there was no prospective mate, to smell, see, or feel. They could only hear it, like a song in the dark. Both sexes also seem to only ever elevate their frequency in the mate-signaling situation. And just as with people who have already found their partner usually stop going to singles bars, females that have already mated rarely take part in swarms— or respond to the songs of males. These results seemed to be pretty clear, but there was one problem. The conventional wisdom said that male mosquitoes couldn't hear frequencies over 800 hertz, which means he wouldn't be able to hear his very own song at 1200 hertz, which he was trying so hard to produce. Instead of accepting the conventional wisdom, the Cater team remembered the most fundamental aspect of science. The only thing that matters when it comes to researching the natural world is evidence. So, they sought to determine the exact range of mosquito hearing by playing tones to both males and female mosquitoes while recording the electrical signals produced by the mosquito ear. The hearing organ of a mosquito is both the antenna and the Johnston's organ. The Johnston's organ kind of looks like an inner tube, with the antenna coming out of the hole in the middle. Piercing the Johnston's organ with an electrode, with the aid of a powerful microscope and a very steady hand, gave the researchers the ability to see the neurons inside the organ firing. So... If they saw firing, they knew the mosquito could hear the tone the computer was playing. And if they didn't see the neuron firing, they knew the mosquito wasn't hearing a thing. In my lab, we do something similar, but we're actually recording from the mosquito's equivalent of a nose. After a lot of work, they had clear evidence that conventional wisdom was wrong, and mosquitoes could actually hear the entire range of hertz that they tested from 125 all the way to 2,000 hertz. Now that it was being established that buzzing was being used as a mating signal, the next question was, are they using this signal to pick the ideal mate out of the crowd? For these experiments, Cater et al. switched to the malaria mosquito Anopheles gambiae which other researchers had already established, also used the duet behavior. It was also already known that one of the big factors mosquitoes use to choose their mates is size. For them, size really does matter, as it indicates good nutrition and thus good genes, which means better babies. So, their question was, can a mosquito tell the size of a potential mate just from the sound that it's making? To test this idea, they needed two groups of mosquitoes, one big and one small. It's actually pretty easy to produce abnormally large mosquitoes, just like producing abnormally large dogs and cats. If you want them to be bigger, you feed them more. So the research team fed half of a big group of baby mosquitoes, or larvae, four times the normal amount of food, and the other half the normal amount. The larger mosquitoes turned out to be more attractive to potential mates, just as expected. But it was because they produced higher frequencies, around 700 hertz for larger males and 470 hertz for larger females. In the smaller mosquitoes, the males buzzed around 640 and the females at 430 hertz. So that's a difference of 60 hertz In the males and 40 hertz in the females. When they played the large mosquito tones to the mosquitoes of opposite sex, the researchers saw more duet behavior even when the tone was played through a speaker, just as I've been playing the tones to you. So there was no visual way for the mosquitoes to tell the size of their potential mate. The point of this study is to know mosquitoes better so that we can fight them more effectively. If we know how they find their mate, then we can possibly disrupt their call to each other. Or, if someone had a genetically modified mosquito, like we talked about in episode 3, they could ensure that they're producing mosquitoes with the more stimulating, higher pitch whines to be sure that the wild females would choose a male from the lab over a wild male. So, Does this mean that the mosquito-repelling app that you downloaded on your phone is the real deal? Sorry to say, no. The frequency commonly used for this purpose is 15,000 hertz, which is really nice because it's above the level at which most humans can hear. But, if you remember, we don't even know if mosquitoes can hear at that level either, as they were only tested to 2,000 hertz, which is quite a bit lower than the 15,000 hertz that's being used. Also, 10 different studies were conducted all over the world, and researchers found time and again that these devices did not work as effective repellents. Hate to say, you're going to have to stick with the DEET spray. But if you're still really curious about it and want to hear more details about these specific experiments, feel free to let me know and we can go into them in a little more in depth. These CATER studies were both funded by the National Institute of Health, which is American Federal Government Institute. The Sizing Up paper was also funded by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, another federal government institution. In the next episode, we're going back to the topic of genetic modification, but a very different type this time, as Jennifer Praner simply posted on the Tiny Vampire's Facebook page. I'm trying to figure out what a gene drive is. Jennifer, you're certainly not alone. Gene drives have been in and out of the news for a while now, but reporters tend not to tackle the subject because of its advanced scientific nature. So, if you're like Jennifer and want to hear about cutting-edge genetic technology made simple and how it applies to the average joe, be sure to subscribe or to check iTunes or Stitcher on the last Tuesday of March. I hope that you found and continue to find this podcast informative. Please visit my blog, tinyvampires.com, to see very cool videos of the Cornell experiments on mosquito hearing happening at the Cornell Fieldhouse, and a link to a tone generator you can have fun playing with just like I did. Also on the blog are citations for all of the papers I used to put together this episode, as well as a link to the slow-motion videos of mosquitoes they made during their investigations. Also, show notes, music credits, and more. A very heartfelt thank you to Harvey Maiden for posting the very first rating and review on iTunes. This podcast is a labor of love for me, and interacting with listeners is really energizing to me during my late night script writing sessions. So be like Harvey, rate and review my podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. If you have an arthropod or disease question you would like to be the question of the day, or if you have corrections, send them to HFORRES and the number one at ndlikenotredeem.edu or just post them on the Tiny Vampires blog or Facebook page. Thank you for listening from me, Raven Forrest Riscalzo, PhD student at the University of Notre Dame, member of the Social Responsibilities of Researchers program, and funded by the National Science Foundation.